Welcome to the One in Five of Us podcast. We are working to stop the stigma and start the conversation about mental health. I'm your host, Kayla Wood, and today we're sitting down with Maya Tabras to talk about her journey living with OCD, ADHD, and anxiety disorders. Maya, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, we're super excited to talk with you. Um, we know you just did our takeover um, for our Instagram last week, and so we're excited to dive a little bit deeper and hear more about your story. Yeah, I'm excited to share. Thank you for having me. This is a really fun, exciting opportunity. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm glad you're excited about it. <laughs> so um, let's start out. This is uh, this is kind of how we start every podcast. We like to ask our guests um, just to share a brief overview about your mental health journey. Yeah, so I always usually start my mental health journey story with the fact that I was always like an anxious child. Um, And I honestly didn't even realize that until I was diagnosed, but I'll talk more about that later. But in in hindsight, I can tell I was always an anxious child, which now makes a lot of sense. Um, But things didn't really start getting disordered, I would say, until I was maybe in middle school, um, early middle school, late elementary school. Um, That's when the anxiety got a bit worse. Um, I would start avoiding certain things like the school play. Um, gave me an anxiety attack trying to audition for it Um, like school events like school dances things like that Um, hanging out with friends after school but it wasn't too impairing and then the summer before I entered high school is when things really started to go south Uh, I started developing all of these like strong intense irrational obsessions about things like religion I was afraid that I wasn't a good Catholic. Um, I would pray a lot. And if I felt like the prayers weren't enough or they didn't sound right, I'd have to repeat them and I'd be praying hours a day. Um, I would also be obsessing about like germs. Um, my showers were really long because I felt so dirty and I washed my hands a lot. Um, I also developed these like very elaborate counting and checking rituals that involved like checking locks, making sure I had everything in my backpack, things like that. Um, So that was a pretty quick onset, I would say. I was about 14. And then once high school started, it got just kept getting worse. So eventually I decided to write a letter to my parents about my symptoms because I was like, I can't handle these anymore. These are too strong. I think I need professional help. And I was afraid to talk to them face to face. So I wrote them a letter and they responded very well, thankfully, um, and got me some professional help. But unfortunately, as many people with OCD will tell you, um, not many therapists treat OCD and a lot who say they treat it don't actually know how to treat it. So I went through a few therapists before I found one who actually treated OCD and knew how to treat it. And unfortunately, once a week therapy wasn't enough because my case was so severe at the time. Um, So after two years of having pretty bad OCD, I decided to go to residential treatment, which is where you live at a treatment facility. And it's kind of like, it's a residential care facility. So it's not like a hospital, but um, I lived there for almost three months and did intensive um, therapy for OCD. And that really, really helped me. That was about four years ago now, and my OCD hasn't been as severe since. 
And it's still there. Obviously, uh, it doesn't go away. I still go to therapy once or twice a week um, to like work on other things, uh, work on my OCD, maintain my progress. Um, but yeah, now I'm in college, which is something I never thought I'd be able to do with the OCD and other things. Um, so yeah, I do struggle still, but I'm working through it and being able to do things that I never thought I'd be able to do. That's, I mean, that's incredible. First of all, that you were able to recognize that you needed to seek treatment and then recognize that the treatment that you were receiving wasn't impactful enough. Um, and, and your process of recovery, you were able to do something like you were just saying that you never thought you were able to do. And that's, that's incredible. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. How's college going? Um, I mean, as any college student now will tell you, it's been pretty wild with COVID and everything. Um, pretty much most of my college experience has been centered around the pandemic, unfortunately. Um, but I'm back to in-person classes this semester, which has been difficult, but necessary, I think. And with going back to in-person classes, a lot of my OCD around, I don't know if I mentioned this, but um, I have like a fear of other people hurting me or other people hurting my family members. And now that I'm back at college, I'm not with my family. I worry about things happening to them. I worry about things happening to me now that I'm not just inside all the time, because with being inside, there was almost some form of safety, like a feeling of safety. Um, now that we have to go back into society, which is a good thing. Um, but it definitely does increase some of the symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't even imagine that's definitely very difficult. And I'm sure with just seeing other people is right. Full year and a half off from seeing people. <laughs> yes, definitely. But it's, it sounds like you're doing a good job with coping and that's awesome. You're still going to therapy and everything and, um, maintaining that, um, and that is actually something that I did want to talk about a little bit as well. So can you talk a little bit a uh, little bit more about the moment that you recognized that it was time to seek treatment? Yeah. So I think it was the end of the summer before I started high school. So maybe August. Um, and I noticed that these symptoms were interfering with my life a lot. Um, I was missing things that I didn't want to miss, like family dinners, and I was going to bed really late and waking up really early solely to do my compulsions and my rituals. Um, I wasn't getting a lot of sleep. I was missing other activities, too. Um, and overall, I just wasn't happy. So I consulted the Internet, um, which isn't always the best thing to do, but I did find out what like my symptom profile met the criteria for OCD and that there's treatment. So I was like, okay, there's treatment for what I have. I think I should try to get that. Absolutely. Yeah. And what was the, what was your kind of first experience like with uh, therapy? It was, I'm trying to think. Um, I remember my first experience with therapy was talk therapy. Um, my therapist was an older woman. She was very nice. Unfortunately, she didn't really understand OCD, though. 
Um, she didn't treat it properly. Talk therapy isn't the best treatment for OCD and it can actually make it worse because talking about your obsessions can just make them worse. Um, but um, fortunately, like that was unfortunate, but she was very nice. And it was kind of like I had a, even though it wasn't the right type of therapy, I had a good experience because she was nice. Um, I didn't see her for that long, but um, it was definitely scary at first um, opening up to someone who you don't even know, but I think it was like a positive experience and positive enough that it kept me looking for new therapists and not just giving up. Mm-hmm. That's, that is so important too. That's something that we talk about a lot um, with therapy in particular, because we, we kind of compare it to like a relationship. Um, right. Yeah. It's like dating. So if you, um, find a therapist and you don't necessarily click, obviously the relationship isn't going to work out. Um, right. Yeah. It's so important to keep trying. So I yes. was doing that. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so when you were around 14, um, that's when you were diagnosed with OCD. Is that correct? Um, so my symptom onset was when I was 14. The first therapist I saw, I'm not sure if she formally diagnosed me, but it was pretty obvious that I had OCD. So I would say I was diagnosed around 14, 15. Yeah. And what was it like to um, get that diagnosis in formal words, I guess? Um, I mean, in my case, it was pretty like very obvious that I had it. Um, so I was almost like certain that a doctor would like just agree with me. Um, so I was, I was relieved though, to know, okay, this is actually a thing. Um, I'm not making this up. This is something I actually have. And it's not just a self-diagnosis anymore. It's like a doctor has like pretty much approved, (laughs) not approved, but like, I don't know what the word is, but they, um, agreed with what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, getting that kind of like confirmation is, Mm -hmm. uh, that's the word. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so validating to come to turn or not come to terms, but like to recognize, um, okay, I'm not just like you were saying, I'm not just making this up. Like there is actually on yeah um so that's awesome so um what what about so I know that you said that you were recently diagnosed with ADHD Um, yes was that something that was a little bit more of a surprise or that was a big surprise to me honestly because it's something I never thought I could have because I had like the schema of ADHD in my head as most mostly hyperactivity and that's not something I deal with um and I just I know people in my life who have ADHD and I was like well I'm not like them so I can't have it but that's obviously not true it's different for everyone who has it and a few months ago my therapist was like I think you could have ADHD and I was just like taken aback and pretty confused honestly because like I said I had no idea it's something I could even have Um, and I went to a few psychiatrists, um, and 
a lot of them wouldn't even like test me for it because not a lot of them, maybe like two of them because they were like, Oh, it's just anxiety. I don't know if it's because I'm a girl. Um, because I know a lot of the times in girls, when they present with inattentiveness, it's labeled as anxiety, unfortunately. Um, but I finally found a doctor who was, who would listen to me, thankfully. And he was like, yeah, you pretty much just meet the criteria for it. And I was pretty surprised, honestly, but I was happy. I was validated because there are a lot of things in my life that I never could really explain. And it explains a lot. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's, that's the beautiful thing about getting a diagnosis. Yes. Because it can definitely be very scary, right? Mm -hmm. Like, okay, there is actually something wrong. But then once we figure out what it is and we put a label to it, that's when we can start actually treating it and taking taking care of ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So that is – it's awesome that you were able to finally get that label for what you'd been experiencing that you couldn't really explain – um in other ways yeah I definitely agree yeah I feel very validated yeah yeah so now that we're talking a little bit um about kind of these different diagnoses um what are some things that people don't understand about your different diagnoses Um, I can speak more towards the OCD just because I'm more familiar about it. Um, Are you talking about people in general, Um, like society? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Yeah. So there, there, as you're probably aware, I'm guessing there are a lot of misconceptions about OCD, that it's all about cleaning, being organized, that it's a good thing, that it's like a desirable personality trait, which all those are, are false. It's, a severe mental illness and it's not something that you want to have. Um, I also think a lot of people um, think that OCD is something that like you want to do, like you want to do these compulsive behaviors and you're just being difficult when you like can't stop them which is not true. It's something we know we don't have to do, but we still feel driven to do it, which is part of like the mental pain like associated with it because you're like, I know I don't have to, but I feel like I have to. It's like there's a tug of war going on in your head. Um, And I think another thing people don't understand is that we can't just stop. It's, you can't just stop thinking about it. You can't just stop doing the compulsive behaviors. Um, It takes a lot of work to be able to, stop doing the compulsive behaviors yeah that's we actually so last week or two weeks ago I guess um we did a podcast with um another woman who lives with OCD um and she was talking a lot about like exposure therapy and how that's um kind of what's been useful for her yes Uh, me too yeah that's and that's awesome that um you've both been able to find a uh, treatment that works and is effective. Um, but she was, she was telling me, she was like, sometimes I'll just have to have either my friend or my boyfriend literally pull me away from it because I physically can't stop myself. 
Right. Yeah. It's that hard. And that's, I can't imagine that. Um, I can empathize, but I can't uh, sympathize, but that definitely seems very difficult. And um, the stigma surrounding OCD is very much like what you were saying, where it's like, oh, being clean, being organized, Mm -hmm. um, sort of these desirable traits. And it's, um, it's, it's really important to not diminish the other aspects of yes. what somebody living with OCD can be experiencing. Um, so I appreciate and applaud that you are open and willing uh, to speak on it because the more we talk about it, right, the uh, more people will understand and hopefully that stigma will I know what you mean. Uh, the stigma will be hopefully diminished. I mean, I mean, eventually, hopefully erased, but we can only hope for lessened at this point. Exactly, exactly. And that's kind of the whole goal of um, the podcast of one in five of um, the really that's the core of what we're trying to do is erase the stigma of mental illness. And um, I love that. Thank you. It's it's a really valuable mission, I think, and um, especially right now because I think so yes. becoming aware of their mental health and their mental like the possibility of having a mental illness. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's like a almost like a global awakening to mental health. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I know. I feel like a lot of people. Um, sorry, were you going to say something? Oh, go ahead. No, you're totally okay. Good. I feel like a lot the pandemic has like opened a lot of people's eyes because we've just had so much time to be with ourselves mm-hmm. that we almost are becoming more aware of things that we do that maybe could be disordered or things that we need help with. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that is one of the most beautiful things I think that's come out of the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. There's a, obviously a lot of bad things that have happened because of it. Yeah. Um, I think the whole, just the conversation about mental health becoming more and more prominent is so valuable and so important. Um, and the need to have conversations like this and the need to, um, bring awareness to mental health and mental illnesses is so much higher than it's ever been. And so this is, this is good work that we're doing here. Yes, it is. Um, so I know we've, we're, sorry, we're going to dive back into (laughs) what we were talking about. I like that little sidebar though. I think that's important. Um, so kind of going back and talking more a little bit about, um, your experience with therapy and treatment. I know we've been Mm kind of discussing that so far. Um, can we just dive a little bit deeper into that? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So Let's um, maybe start from after your first therapist, because um, like you were saying, didn't quite work out very well. Right. Um, My second therapist was actually through a research study at um, Columbia University in New York City. Um, They were doing a research study on cognitive behavioral therapy 
for, I think it was adolescents and children with OCD. I was a teenager at the time. I think I was 15. Um, and they were doing exposure and response prevention therapy, which is a subset of cognitive behavioral therapy for OCD specifically. Um, and I would go in once a week and talk about my OCD, um, make a hierarchy of my fears, which is pretty much when you list all of your OCD fears. Um, starting from at the bottom, you have the fears that aren't as bad. And at the top, you have your worst fears. Um, and then you start tackling them, starting with the ones that aren't as scary. Um, and that's the exposure part. You expose yourself to the fear. And then the response prevention is you resist doing the rituals or compulsions associated with it that you would normally do. And um, you have to do these exposures repetitively. And eventually, either the anxiety goes down or you learn that you can sit with the anxiety, which I think is pretty cool. And it does work. Unfortunately, though, I was only doing it once a week and it was hard for me to do it at home because my OCD was just so severe. I was also a kid, um, so it was just hard to do that with school and everything. Um, so eventually that's when I decided I needed more intensive therapy. And so I went to residential treatment where I did exposure and response prevention therapy several hours a day, every day, which is exactly what I needed because I felt like when I was doing it at home once a week, I would make progress, but then the OCD would just come back because during the week when I wasn't doing it. Um, so I needed to be doing it, I feel, every day to get ahead of the disorder. Yeah. Kind of like almost, it, it sounds a little bit like training yourself out of it. Yeah, exactly. Kind of like needing a coach. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's... That's, I mean, that's amazing that it was uh, so effective too. Um, yeah, it was honestly, they said by the time I went in with very severe OCD and by the time I left almost three months later, my OCD was almost below like the diagnosable threshold on whatever scale. I mean, it's come back a little since then, but it's never gone back to that severe level, which is pretty amazing. Wow, that's incredible. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it is. It definitely, I forget that sometimes. I really do forget that, but I, it's, I need to be reminded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's, that's work that you put in and that you did and uh, you deserve to celebrate that. That's amazing. Yeah. I do remember. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say my therapist and I have recently been talking about um, minimizing and uh, how not to do that. So yes, it's so easy to minimize. Yeah, it's, it's tough, but you gotta celebrate even like the little things, but that yeah, is yeah, exactly. It's a big thing to celebrate though. Yeah, it is. I remember when I got home, my parents like had balloons for me. They're like, congratulations. And I was like, I was so happy, but I was like, is this really necessary? But it, it was necessary, I think. For sure. You were taking care of yourself. You were taking care of your mental health and uh, becoming the version of you that you wanted to be. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, so for the residential treatment, um, mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit more about what that was like? Yeah. So pretty much you live in this like 
residential facility. It's pretty, it was very nice. There were a lot of flowers outside and I went during the summer. So it was pretty nice. Um, um, as nice as it could be when you're doing a lot of hard work. Um, and it was kind of like college dorm living ish, but it was nicer than that. Um, and you're with a bunch of other, I was in the adolescent program. So I was with a bunch of other teenagers who were dealing with the same thing, which I think was a big part of my success because before going there, I didn't know anyone else dealing with similar things. Um, or if I did know them, no one talked about it. So meeting other kids who were struggling with similar things kind of showed me, okay, I'm not alone. Other people are doing the work. I can do it too. Um, and we did a lot of group activities. Like, um, I remember we went kayaking because it was during the summer. We went camping, um, because these activities are things to get you out of your comfort zone. And they, a lot of the kids with OCD would have whatever fears around kayaking. Like some people were afraid, what if I fall in? Some people were afraid, what if I get dirty? Um, so those were all big exposures for me too. Um, we also went caving, I remember, where we like go in a cave, which is really cool and also very scary and dirty, which I didn't like, but I mean, I did it. Um, so that was pretty awesome. And we had group therapy every day. I remember we had art therapy. My favorite was pet therapy <laughs> when they would bring in therapy dogs. Um, we would do meet with our therapists, meet with our psychiatrists, meet with nutritionists, uh, behavioral specialists. We had a whole treatment team. Also, because we were teenagers, we had to go to school. Um, so we had school um, a few hours a day. And I'm trying to think we had medication management. It was like pretty like holistic, like everything was touched upon, which I thought was awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. And I love to like hear experiences like that um, because I feel like so often when people go into residential treatment, either they don't want to talk about it or mm -hmm. um, there's so much stigma around it. Um, yeah. And I really like to just normalize that. No, like it's a good thing. It's <laughs> yes, it is a good thing. So that's amazing. Yeah. It was like, my mom was like, it's kind of like a summer camp. I mean, it kind of was, but it was like a treatment summer camp. Yeah. It's like bettering yourself, but like yeah. around your peers and being able to create that sense of community. And that's, yeah. So kind of going back into um, talking about like recovery and all that kind of stuff. If you could go back in time, uh, and talk to your pre-recovery self, what kind of advice would you give to yourself? Well, that's a good question. I would probably tell myself that it does get better. It's possible to get better. You will get better. Um, pretty much just like, hold on. It's going to get better. You're going to find the treatment you need. It's not always going to be like this. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I think that's something that like every teenager needs to hear. Yes, I agree. Um, regardless of if they have like a diagnosed mental illness or not, mm -hmm. uh, talking to your kind of inner child and right. 
telling yourself that it's not always going to be like this is such a valuable thing. Um, yeah, something I even need to hear now. <laughs> Honestly, exactly. I think everyone could hear that exactly. around now. We're all very stressed in the world right now. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. That's something that my therapist and I had been um, covering as well. Is not. Um, I think she called it like futurization or something like that. Uh, fortune telling. Fortune telling. Oh, okay. Not futurization. <laughs> um, I know what you mean. <laughs> I'm just making up words over here. It's fine. Um, but that's something that we had been uh, covering as well because we're doing like some CBT work. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah, it's 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 really awesome. Um, and talking about with the fortune telling and like anxiety of the future, but I think uh, something really valuable is just telling yourself that when you're in a moment of crisis, when you're feeling kind of overwhelmed and everything, that it's not always going to feel like that. Um, yeah. You can't know what the future holds and you can't try to predict that it's going to be this same way forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really valuable. So this next question is a little bit uh, different, but I think okay. I like it. Um, if, there were absolutely no limitations, um, like financial insurance, forget all of that in a perfect world, right? What would your ideal version of mental health care and treatment look like? That's a really good question. I've never been asked that before. Um, hmm. I guess just the first thing I can think of is like tailored to the individual, because I know everyone needs different things um and everyone would have like a treatment team with what they need like some people might not need medication so they wouldn't have a psychiatrist some people might need medication so they have a psychiatrist some people might need a nutritionist some people might need a therapist and a behavioral specialist like things like that um so like everyone would have their own like personally tailored treatment team who all works together because I know a big problem is a lot of the time trying to get your members of your treatment team to um, communicate. Um, and obviously um, people who need like more intensive levels of treatment could do that. People who don't need as intense could do that. Um, things like that, just tailored to the individual because I know everyone is extremely different in what they need. Absolutely. And what you were just saying about getting your mental health professionals to work together. That's yeah, it's difficult. So difficult. Um, Like having a psychiatrist and a therapist, even under the same practice, Mm -hmm. communicate. (laughs) Yeah, it's tough. Um, And then like, I know for me personally, Every time I have like a psychiatrist appointment, because I only have them once a month, mm-hmm. uh, he'll like ask me what we've been going over in therapy. And I'm like, I just talked about this. Like, right. I don't want to have to restate it all. But <laughs> um, yeah, that that sounds incredible. And hopefully someday in the future we can get that there. That would be nice. <laughs> yeah. 
I think with, um, and I don't want to speculate. I don't want to like say that I know this to be true, but it does seem that, uh, mental health care is trending upwards. Um, yeah. More, um, more time, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. and more, what is the word I'm looking for? Engagement. Not sure. <laughs> um, it's basically, it's just, people are becoming more aware, like we were saying earlier, yeah. about mental health. And so I think the need is going to continue to grow and then mental health care is going to have to evolve with it. Um, right. That's, it's really, it's exciting to see what the future holds. and Really does. Yeah, really is. I mean, I was, t- my talk, I'm sorry. I was talking with my therapist a few, this was a few months ago, but she said to me, what do you think OCD treatment will look like in 20 years? And I was like, I have no idea because OCD has only been researched really for the past like 30 years. It had, before that, it wasn't really researched at all. Like there wasn't much known about it. It was thought to be rare and untreatable, which is, it's common and treatable. So um, 20 years, that's like another, like, like that's like pretty much how long it's been since they started researching it. So I don't know what it's going to be like. I mean, it's crazy to think about. And it's exciting though. It's like exciting to see, to kind of try to foresee what's going to happen. Yes. And hope for the best, right? Yeah, um, I hope so. Yeah. Um, I know we didn't talk a lot about um, your ADHD diagnosis, mm-hmm. um, any of the like anxiety disorders. Um, we kind of focused a lot on OCD, but is there anything yeah. to talk about with um, your other diagnoses? I want this to be really open for you to be able to talk about what you want to talk about. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I unfortunately don't have much to say about the ADHD just because I'm still learning about it and it's a very big learning experience. Um, one thing that I'd like to talk about because I feel like not enough people talk about it is, um, skin picking disorder, Mm -hmm. which is related to OCD. It's a, I think it's an obsessive compulsive related disorder. So it's similar to OCD, but it's not OCD and you can have it without having OCD too. Um, I just happen to have both and it's pretty much just like a compulsive urge and to pick at your skin or scratch at your skin. Um, it's similar to trichotillomania, which is hair pulling, um, but it's skin picking. And I just feel like not enough people talk about that. Um, I've dealt with that. I remember first picking at my skin when I was like four. So it's been going on a lot of my life, I'm guessing. Um, Yeah. And it's a hard disorder to deal with because I mean, it's like not just if you could pick at your skin and then all the scabs and wounds would go away, it probably wouldn't be a problem. But the fact is that it does have involved like having visible open wounds on your body and worrying that other people will judge you. And sometimes that involves not leaving the house or like trying to cover it up best you can. Um, It can cause a lot of distress and low self-esteem. So I like talking about that too, because I know it's not a lot of people talk about it and it's pretty common. 
Yeah, that's um, definitely something that does not get talked about nearly as much as it should. Um, yeah. When uh, when did you get formally diagnosed with that, or even if there is a formal diagnosis? Um, interestingly, there wasn't actually a formal diagnosis for it until 2013. So, wow, which is not that long ago, which is wild to think about. Um, I'm not sure I was ever formally diagnosed with it, um, but um, I would say I've had I've picked up my skin my whole life, and I've had it to like a disordered extent. I would say since I was like 14, like when my OCD started to. Yeah, absolutely. And then, um, have you done any treatment or anything like that for it? Yeah. So, um, a lot of the treatment is, they call it habit reversal training. So you pretty much just like, I've never really done it this, um, systematically, but you have, you keep track of when like the times when you pick at your skin and like the situation and then you like it, um, implement like habit blockers like fidgets um which I'm using right now actually um fidgets um other things like they're these little socks that you can put on your fingers so that you can't pick um I used to use gloves um putting little reminders on your mirror not to pick things like that. Um, and then you just gradually try to resist, like you resist more and more each day or each week um, until it goes down um, and systematic level, but like OCD, it's like, it's always there. Um, the urges will always be there, but you just have, it gets easier to resist them, but there are always flares and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And has, um, so college, obviously, like going to college is a huge mm-hmm. life change. And yeah. as we know, it can spark mental health issues. Um, right. Has being in college and going through, um, you know, the pandemic and everything while being in college, like all these major life changes, has that had any impact? And if so, like, what has that looked like? Yeah, it's definitely had an impact. A big part of my OCD is like a fear of growing up. And um, like, because I like obsess over, am I competent enough to be on my own? And like, am I, can I be a person without my family? Things like that. Um, So going to college has definitely been difficult for that reason. Um, And with the pandemic, I actually went home because we had to go home. Um, so I was home for a few months in the height of the pandemic. And um, then when it came time to come back to school, it was almost like I had to relaunch, which was pretty difficult because I had been home for so long. Um, but I, I did do it. Um, and definitely missing home has caused some depression too, unfortunately. But um, I've learned to cope with that. And I mean, like I was saying earlier, some of the things that my OCD latches onto are around school and being around other people. So that has, there's been a bit of an uptick in that, but it's very, not very manageable, but it's been manageable with therapy, thankfully. Good. Good. Yeah. And that's 
it's definitely a hard transition. Um, yeah. So I applaud you once again. Um, Thank you. I appreciate it. Of course. It's tough to deal with. And so mm-hmm. it's like you're doing a very good job. Um, obviously, I don't know you very well, but <laughs> even from this conversation, I mean, you seem like such a mature person. Um, and you are self-aware and you recognize um, when you need to seek treatment, what type of treatment you need. Um, and that is a trait that is so, so important. Um, very, very valuable. So that's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it definitely has taken time to form that self-awareness. Yeah. But I think the mental illness has almost like forced me to become more self-aware earlier than maybe most people. I'm not sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, with therapy in general, it's, um, right. That's a good point. It requires you to do so much internal work, Mm -hmm. um, which is not always easy, right? No, but it builds us up and makes us stronger people. Um, yeah. And you can definitely tell that you've put in the work. Um, yes. That's awesome. Um, so we are coming up on about an hour here. Um, okay. You have one last question that I like to ask everybody. Okay. Um, so with all of these things, you know, like you're going through college, like during a pandemic and managing um, these different diagnoses, um, with all of that going on, what do you do to take care of yourself? That's a good question. Um, To take care of myself, there are two things I'm pretty good at um, when it comes to taking care of myself, other things I struggle with, but I'm very good at going to bed at a reasonable time and getting enough sleep. Um, After about like eight or nine, I usually like put all my studying materials away and like relax because at that point I can't focus anyway. So trying to study won't do anything. Um, and I go to bed around like 10 at 10, 10 30 every night. And I try to get a good amount of sleep, which really does help. Um, and the other thing is eating three meals a day, which I'm also very good at because I love food. And, um, I think like that combination, like getting enough sleep and getting proper nourishment has been very helpful. Yeah. That's awesome. That's amazing. That's not easy to do always. Yeah. It's definitely taken time. That's see, I love, I love that you had that response too, because so many people are like, Oh, self-care. Like this is what I do for like self-care. And it's like, Oh, like honestly, one of my self-care practices is I go get my nails done, but like, (laughs) that's not the only way I practice self-care. Right. Yeah. So I think that it's so important to recognize that taking care of your body by nourishing it and getting it the rest that it needs is self-care. And that is very, very important. Um, So that's awesome. That is so Well, Maya, thank you so, so much for being on the podcast today. Um, You have been so open and vulnerable with us um, sharing your story um and like we were saying earlier these conversations um really help with erasing the stigma um and 
Yeah. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's been really fun. Thank you so much. And is there anything else that we didn't cover? um, If you wanted to talk about anything else right now? No, I don't think so. Awesome. I just like to give that little space to do that. Um, Well, Warriors, thank you so much for listening. Um, If you need any additional resources or anything at all, please visit our website at 1n5.org. And as always, uh, have a great day.